It's time for America's six favorite Georgia Bulldogs football podcast. That's right. It's the Dogs on Top, Even on Bottom podcast. Without further ado, here's Matt and Kyler with another week of reflection on Georgia Bulldogs football and poor life decisions. All right. Welcome back, podcast listeners. And yes, it was finally the weekend that we have been waiting for the dogs. It was like a being out in the ocean. If you've ever seen a wave start to crash, you feel it coming back, pulling you back, but you, we just haven't seen it crash. We haven't seen that kinetic energy fully to its full strength and power. Well, we finally saw it on Saturday. I mean, just your thoughts, your feelings. Are you feeling electric this this uh, Monday? We're actually recording. You feeling good about what happened this weekend, Keller? And I mean, what did you get into? Was it a good weekend for you, sir? Yeah, pretty laid back weekend. Uh, perfect weekend to have not much to do. Lots of good football on. So I was very you know, happy to be able to sit in front of a TV the majority of the day and, and catch some of these awesome games. And then really, really lived up to the hype this week for sure. Well, you know what definitely lived up to the hype, Kyler? Finally, the 2023 Georgia Bulldogs. We are living up to the hype, living up to that number one ranking. In my opinion, it was our most complete and most dominant performance all year. I want to get your thoughts, though. I mean, are you as excited, as jacked on Mountain Dew as I am about as we kind of go into what is really, as we talked about, is the meat of our schedule? Absolutely, Matt. I'm fired up about these Bulldogs. There were question marks heading into the week. Georgia loses their best player, Brock Bowers. Are they going to be able to move the ball offensively? And Carson Beck answered the answer the bell and some. Uh, so it was great to see some different players on offense really get involved. Uh, Lab McConkey could not have come back at a, at a better time. Um, he had quite the game, felt like we were scheming him open. Um, but with Lad, his ability to get yards after the catch is, is unreal. I mean, might even be up there with Brock Bowers. You know, yeah, they're different styles, but uh, when he gets the ball, he knows how to find that soft spot uh, in the zone and then knows how to read the defense to see where the open field is and, and use his speed to his advantage and uh, create electric plays for this offense. So it was great to see him get involved. Uh, to answer your question on, you know, or America's question on do we have a, a tight end after uh, Brock Bowers is gone, uh, I think Oscar Delp answered that question, had, had an insane um, one-handed grab, had another catch as well in the game. But what I really liked the most from from Oscar this week was that, you know, got to see him do a little bit of blocking. Um, he wasn't afraid to stick his head up in there and and open up some holes for, for our running backs. So uh, I thought that he had a very well-rounded game as a tight end, and that's great to see. Shows off the depth that we have on this team. It's good to see uh, Lawson lucky as well, um, get reps there at tight end. So I think that that room is deep and, and will remain deep um, here at the University of Georgia. We're definitely tight end new. So um, I was very, very pleased with, with that. Um, we mentioned last week a guy who we thought would step up and, and have a big game was, was Dominic Lovett. Um, and he had a pretty big game, four receptions, I think 80-something yards. So, um, you know, when his number was called, he, he did – you know, more than answer. So I was very pleased to see Dom Lovett and, and what he was able to do out there. Um, Dylan Bell um, also got involved uh, both in the running game and the passing game, caught him a touchdown, had a couple of nice runs. 
Um, then, you know, the running game continues to, to be a strength for this Georgia offense. Um, both Kendall Milton and Dajan Evers had really good games. Um, Dajan almost eclipsed 100 yards. So it's great to see the development of this offensive line, you know, a, a part of this team that we've been kind of questioning uh, throughout the year. I feel like they've kind of taken it personally um, as a challenge to, to move guys against their will and show that this is you know, the Georgia offensive line, the, the team that – or the unit that has been snubbed from the Joe Moore Award two years in a row. Um, you know, I attribute a lot of that to guys like Cedric Van Pran, really taking the honest on him as a leader on this team to make sure that we're getting it right down there in the trenches. So um, the offensive side of the ball was just extremely happy to see that you know, if we don't have a Brock Bowers, that it doesn't mean that the plan is over and that there's nothing that we can do. No, we're going to be able to scheme open a guy like Lad McConkie and have him have um, just an absolutely electric game. And, and there's other guys out there that can contribute as well. So it was good to see, you know, whenever Brock does come back, we're going to be that much more dangerous. So um, that excited me on the offensive side of the ball. And then on defense, we, we had talked about last week about, you know, on the bye week, we're going to see potentially some new faces out there. Um, we had talked a little bit about Damon Wilson. Um, he continues to, to see more reps out there. He got a half sack in this game, split one with Michael Williams. Um, Jalen Walker on the edge. He didn't get a ton of snaps, but whenever he was in there, um, it was noticeable. And he was getting pressure on the quarterback, had him a sack as well. Then – a player who we hadn't seen all year, Tyrion Ingram Dawkins. And I think that this is the biggest takeaway from the defense. I think that he might be that missing piece um, for our defensive line. Um, incredible pass rush on Graham Merge to, to strip that ball, but that guy's an incredible athlete. I mean, just the way that he's able to move out there. There's not any other defensive linemen that we have that have that same kind of athleticism. Maybe Michael Williams, but, um, you know, he's a little bit lighter than a guy like Tyron Ingram Dawkins, who can not only, you know, shed blocks and 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 rush the passer, but he's also going to be able to make plays in the backfield. And I feel like that's a little bit of that Jalen Carter element that we've been missing this year. So excited to see him healthy out there making some plays. I hope that he continues to you know increase his workload and and really shine out for this defense. So um, you know, very pleased uh, with both phases of the game. Um, Peyton Woodring, he had. I can't remember the last game that he missed. Maybe South Carolina. He had a had a poor game, but but since then he has just been lights out and continues to be uh, Mr. Reliable um, at kicker. So um, you know, all three phases of the game, I was very pleased. Um, you know, obviously a, a few little miscommunications on on the defensive side of the ball. Um, that first drive, especially, um, felt like we got caught a little bit. Um, you know. And also some good routes, you know, good offensive play calls by, by Florida there. Um, but Dalen Everett, you know, giving up a slant. Javon Buller giving up a slant as well. Um, you know, then eventually you know, led to a touchdown there. But um, overall, very pleased with, with our effort, the way we were able to bounce back after that uh, first draft touchdown by Florida to really put the clamps down on them. And, you know, by the next time that they had scored, the game was well out of reach. And so, um, you know, Got to be pleased with, with with what we saw out of the Georgia Bulldogs on Saturday and how that kind of sets the tone for, for the rest of the season. 
So I'm pumped, man. What about yourself? I mean, what did you see out of the game that really stood out to you and, um, you know, kind of the the future for, for the Bulldogs in the remainder of the season? Yeah, Kyler, I think you hit on a lot of the points that I think we all saw um, throughout the game. Anybody who was watching the, the Bulldogs at 3.30 on Saturday saw uh, a few things definitely stood out to me. Uh, one, Lab McConkey coming back uh, and looking fully healthy and just how dangerous of a threat he is at a hundred yard over a hundred yards. Um, and I, I don't think he had been as involved in the Carson Beck offense as he had, at least to this point, um, as he had been involved in the Stetson Bennett offense. And sometimes there is that thing about like certain quarterbacks and receivers just mesh well together. Uh, I don't, you know, there were flashes there with McConkey. We all knew he also was coming back from injury. So I think you could attribute a lot of it to that. But there was a little lingering, I think, portion in the back of my head that thought, all right, well, maybe it was just him and Stetson were on just like on that same wavelength. Maybe him and Beck won't quite be as much on that wavelength. But I also knew that with um, Browers being out, we needed somebody to kind of step in and take the take the majority of those of those reps that he was getting and certainly um, McConkey stepped in and stepped in valiantly we talked about Dominic Lovett having a big game too but I think the reemergence of McConkey just says once Bowers gets back and I know some people are talking like maybe we don't have him back for the season I would be surprised and I, honestly I would be surprised if he's not back by Atlanta in December if we can make it there so uh, I feel like as we're getting more guys involved, as we're doing more, it's it's just um, it, it sets up, as you said, for our offense to be all that much more dangerous. Uh, and I, I have a lot more confidence uh, in the offense going forward uh, and more just in how the offense is going to respond to maybe not having one of your biggest playmakers um, there with you for a few weeks. As we flip to the defensive side of the ball, I'll be honest, this was the first time I saw that Georgia defense that I know and love. Um, the defense to this point, Kyler, take nothing away. They've been good, but there is a certain headhunting mentality and a certain tackling mentality that Georgia defenses uh, under Kirby Smart, especially after these last few years, take. And I think the one thing that Georgia has been better than anyone in the country is we play a lot of man-on-man stuff. And maybe we, we go back and play zone-style defense. I'm not saying in coverage, but it is a lot of leaving people on islands and saying, go make the tackle. One-on-one, open field, make that tackle. And Georgia does it nine times out of ten. And I will be honest, I don't think our open field tackling was quite up to snuff early in the season, or at least quite as good as it was on Saturday because that's the best I've seen all year and it really does all of a sudden I was like okay this reminds me of this 2020 team this reminds me of the 2021 defense this reminds me of the 2022 defense and and also I think with that it allowed us maybe to um, to kind of show different blitzes because now you all of a sudden have the trust in in your guys to just make those open field tackles so you aren't having to do anything to support anyone. And what, what did we see? We saw a lot of disruption and maybe the most disruption I've seen from our defensive line just getting after the quarterback, um, getting after making, you know, 
making the running backs who have been pretty uh, strong for Florida throughout the year uh, second guess maybe if they want to come through the tackles. And so uh, it just you start to see how how everything starts to affect everything. And when one thing falls into place and that one thing being tackling falls into place, it allows us to, I feel like, play our style of ball, which is incredibly aggressive and, you know, send it from everywhere, send pressure. And that's what you do when you just trust the next man, because, you know, it's like, all right, I'm leaving this gap, but, you know, I know that Dumas Johnson is just going to come in there and clean it up. And I will say, I think Dumas Johnson had his best game of the year um, on Saturday. I thought he played incredibly well. I feel like he, his name was being called almost, I felt like almost every play. It was like, and Dumas Johnson's in on that one too. So um, it's it's having the guys just start to start to get it and start to step up. And I think start to realize that when you play as a team and when you play at our defense, it's just, I feel like it's a probably more fun to play in the defense because you're just killing them. And B, you start to realize how it all works and how like people talk about connection and trust. Like, no, there are reasons behind that because if you start faltering on any of that, then our defense really doesn't work the way it should. But I don't know. I mean, what, what do you think? Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that our defense is, is, is getting back to where it was or do you think there are still some some big hurdles that we need to clear if we're going to be compared to some of the previous defenses that we've had these last few seasons? Well, I, I think for the defensive side of the ball, uh, you know, while they are getting better and improving each and every week, it's uh, it seems to be that there's a slightly different mindset than, than past defenses. Um, you know, it felt like in past years it was – nearly impossible to get uh, a rushing touchdown on our defenses. And I, and I feel like that's something that's just not the case anymore. Um, you know, with our defenses, not to say that they're not great and one of the elite defenses in the country, but I mean, we're talking about, you know, a couple of teams the last two seasons that have been littered with incredible first round NFL draft prospects. And to, to replace that, that, that's a tall task. And and so I don't think that we're going to be on the level of those two elite defenses um, of the past two years. But uh, when we have an offense that's rolling the way it is and we've got a quarterback that's uh, as a lead at, at processing and, and going to the right place with the ball, putting us in the right checks, right coverages, um, right, right blocking schemes, uh, that, that kind of makes up for kind of – you know, where, where our defense is and where it lacks compared to past years. So, you know, I think that the team as a whole um, is just as good as, as the, you know, the teams of the past two years because of the step up that I believe that the offense has taken um, under Carson Beck. Um, and this offensive line, um, you know, continues to improve as well. So, um, and we've, you know, kind of been thrown to the fire, losing Brock Bowers to see, you know, who else we have out there and, Turns out we're pretty dangerous even without Brock Bowers. So um, see, seeing that performance from the offense, you know, really gives me a lot of hope and in, in our team as a whole. Um, you know, coming back to your point of, of, you know, our guys playing, you know, for each other and trusting one another. I mean, I think that stuff is real. Um, when, when the defense is lacking, the offense is there to, there to pick us up and, and vice versa. So um, while it might not be the defense of, of the past two years, it, it's still a great defense, but they've, 
got quite the complimentary offense with Carson Buck at the helm and, you know, weapons like Lad McConkey and Rara Thomas, uh, Dominic Lovett. You know, these guys are starting to shine out. Um, a guy like Dejan Evers, who's been on our roster for quite some time, just the things that he's able to do um, without being a um, elite home run threat are, are just unbelievable. His vision, his ability to cut and make people miss, um, you know, really keeps this offense going. We don't have a, a lot of negative plays with this offense. So um, the full package offense defense and now, you know, Peyton Woodring and Brett Thorson, you know, what they bring, um, you know, to that third element of the game. Um, you know, we're, we're an elite team and we're going to be uh, a tough team to knock off, um, you know, as the season progresses. Yeah, Kyler, I totally agree. We're finding our way to become more elite, and it comes on both sides of the ball. Now, with that said, um, I would hope that we're not peaking too early. I would hope that we continue to see just like like we're building like a hurricane in the Atlantic, and we're going to make groundfall right around New Year's Eve and just, you know, wreck shit for the first week in January. Um, if, if by that analogy – um, what what do you believe are the things that we need to improve upon? What are the things that you think might hold us back from from a third national championship? And what are the things that might have disappointed you? Because once again, we, we look at games like this when you beat a big rival by 23 points and it wasn't even that close of a game. I think it's really easy to just not even to gloss over anything that wasn't uh, that wasn't good. But I think that Obviously, as we know in the past, like it's not good enough to be good. It's not even good enough to be great. You have to be, as you said, elite. Uh, so, what what could hold us back from being elite? From what you saw on Saturday? Yeah, I'd like to see you know a little bit of improvement from uh, Carson on his deep ball. Um, a little bit more accuracy there. I feel like that's a, a an area of, uh, for improvement in his game. Um, in his defense, uh, it's not like we are forced to, to throw a lot of deep balls, but yeah, there's going to be a scenario where we yeah, desperately need him to, to hit on one of those um, as the season progresses. And so I feel like that that's one of the big ones um, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I want to see someone and whether it's Tyron Egram Dawkins or it's Michael Williams really come into their own, take that next step in, in their progression and, and become an elite player that, that's creating havoc out there. But, you know, someone that is an absolute difference maker. And and I think that, that we have two guys in, in Michael and, and Tyron Ingram Dawkins that can absolutely do that. So I'm fired up to see how they continue to progress and, and what they do. And then the last thing, which I think is the most important, is is that communication in the, in the defensive backfield. Um, Thalen Everett, um, Tyke Smith, uh, Kamari Lassiter. Um, we have to know our responsibilities. And, you know, I'm okay with giving up these you know short slants as long as we're tackling well a little bit of bend don't break but when those slant routes you know lead to really long touchdowns that, that that's that's a problem so um i like to see us tighten up in coverage and, and our communication pre-snap um, with one another so that we know um, our responsibilities on each and every play so that we're not giving up those kind of you know long touchdowns like we did against vanderbilt and against florida um in the passing game I think that's going to be critical when we go up against a team like an Ohio State who, who or a, or a Texas that that really is a threat in the passing game. Um, so that are better than teams like Vanderbilt and Florida. So 
I feel like that's something that has to be cleaned up, and it's probably the most important thing to clean up um, on this team for us to um, accomplish all the goals that we have set out for us. What about you? I mean, do you see anything on our team that's um, glaring that that needs to be corrected uh, um, that you saw in Florida against Florida or any game, you know, leading up to, to Florida that you feel like hasn't been addressed yet or, or needs to be addressed in order for us to you know, go out and, and be that strong team in January that just rips everyone apart? I don't know. I mean, I think it's hard. Like, I do think that there are elements and certain things, as you say, the, and I do think that you see it sometimes in the defensive backfield and just to your point, communication, because I do think when they're in the right place, I mean, we've seen, shown time and time again, we have an incredibly talented um, defensive backfield. There's no doubt about it. And it seems like when we get beat, it's more due to misassignments or just, yeah, non-communication or not being able to be in the right place or not realizing someone didn't take on that guy versus it being a um, an issue of just getting beat. Because if our guys are in the place, typically they're winning those one-on-one battles. Um, but I think that if, if I had to say anything, I think it's really just, you know, continuing to see improvement in the run game, continuing to see that if we're playing against a difficult run defense, we can get those hard six, seven, eight yard carries. I do think sometimes in short yardage plays, um, we still have difficulty uh, getting those, getting those three, four yards. And if we're put into a position where, uh, where we play a better offense and uh, are up against a better defense in Florida, and that might be this weekend against Missouri. Uh, we gotta we gotta convert on those plays to continue moving drives, or not to put ourselves in situations where you know we didn't we didn't get goal line stood up, but we did get ourselves in a situation where we went for it like and got three yards and three downs, and we're staring down fourth and two before you know, we were able to punch it in. I think those types of, uh, those just puts you in a bad place and, you know, you don't convert on that fourth down. Uh, you punt the ball away. Florida gets a few more uh, better plays kind of like they did against the first drive. And there have been teams who have shown the ability to, I think, drive against our defense. I think we are seeing strides and improvement on defense. And I will say that's where I'm, I'm curious. I'm really curious to see what, what happens against Missouri because I think they've got a very legitimate offense, and so we're going to find out a lot this weekend. But I do think that, um, yeah, we just need to, in, in kind of as you say, we're going to get into games that are tight when it gets to the playoffs, and being able to extend a drive, whether that's to close out a game and to not give somebody a really good offense, another chance, another crack at um, trying to come back on us, or whether that's us trying to, you know, punch it in being close to the goal line. I mean, at a certain point in time, all you get, all you can do is just go right down their throats. Uh, and I, and yeah, I think there's something lacking there that I'd like to see more, but I think I'm seeing improvement to your point. I think the offensive line has made great strides and, on the flip side, I think this has been some of the best pass protection I've ever seen a Georgia defense or a Georgia offensive line provide for the quarterback. I feel like every single time Carson Beck drops back to throw, or it feels like 80% of the time he is not in any sort of pressure. And sometimes I'm like, wow, he has three, four, five seconds. And I mean, shoot, it allows him to just sit back there, wait for a guy to get open, makes it really easy. But um, I think Carson's making all the right decisions, but 
something in a certain level, as much as I can nitpick the offensive line for maybe not coming through on those short yardage situations, my goodness, they really are coming through uh, in pass protection and a lot of Carson's uh, ability to just, you know, pick those right decisions have to be put back on the offensive line and their ability to give them that time to make check down to go through his progressions, all that stuff. I mean, we see it with Colorado this past weekend and Dion even made a comment. It's like, if you don't have time to throw, it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you can be Shador Sanders and we all know he's a very talented quarterback, but like, you're not going to be a great, you're not going to be doing much if you got to throw it after two seconds, every single down. And so, um, so I say that just to say that, yes, there are things in ways that we can improve, but also, um, we're seeing that and as well, like these same players are playing really well in other aspects of the game. So not much to really get too, too down in the weeds on or too down on them for, um, but national championships, you know, you're going to have to pull out your whole bag of tricks is the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, I like what you're saying about, um, yeah, this goal line, um, offenses where, you know, that, that first drive where we have to settle for a field goal and, and Carson misses, you know, Marcus Rosemi, Jack saying a little bit high. Um, I, I want to see us be able to get those tough yards on the ground and be able to punch it in and not have these woes in the red zone. And it's not the first game that we've you know, run, bumped into that issue. So, I mean, that you're right. That is an area where the offensive line definitely needs to improve. And, um, you know, when we're in that red zone and, and Carson Beck has, you know, uh, picked apart a defense all the way down, you know, to the, to the eight or nine yard line. We need to get that in for six and not just settle for three. But uh, but overall, you know, I'm very pleased with, with you know, the play of the offensive line. You know, you're, you're totally right. I mean, the, the majority of the time, Carson Beck is upright, um, has plenty of time to scan the field, go to the right receiver, and keep moving the, the chains. And so that's that's been a beautiful thing to watch this year. And he's, you know, he's had some pressure here and there, but, I mean, he, he doesn't seem to, you know, Put put the ball in harm's way too much. I mean, I know he's done it from time to time, but I feel like it, it, when the game is close, he hasn't really done too much to uh, you know put put the game in danger um, with, with his ball placement. So um, yeah, he, he's been an absolute pleasure to watch this year, and so I know that he's going to continue to get better and better. Um, I think that this was a huge confidence um, you know point for him in, in this game to go uh, back to his hometown and. and absolutely dominate the Florida Gators, a team where he was committed to play baseball for, um, you know, back in high school. So um, I, I think that we continue to see him get better and, and you know, open up the offense even more and, and hopefully start to land some of these deep balls too. I mean, that's going to make this offense just absolutely electric and, and take it to the next level. Yeah, no doubt. I think that he he's a few deep balls away from, from honestly being the Heisman front runner, quite frankly, Kyler. Uh, it, because he's putting up 315 yards or 330 or something like that. And those deep balls, you add one of those in, and all of a sudden he's averaging close, he might be averaging close to 400 yards a game uh, passing and going to be up in touchdowns at least with a lot of those uh, top, you know, top guys. Cause that's where he's kind of maybe trailing some of the top quarterbacks, but also, it's kind of how our offense operates too, is that we don't, to your point, we don't take many shots deep downfield. We kind of, I feel like, as I say, I, I've explained this last year as a, um, 
for Stetson Bennett, and I feel like this once again with our offense, it's almost like our quarterback is a point guard, and he's there to just distribute to the playmakers and let them go and make the plays um, in space that they need to do. And uh, it really works well. And But having that ability to go deep, and as we know, we've seen it in almost every single playoff um, contests that we've had or playoff season, whether it was against Alabama in 2021, where we needed to go over the top deep uh, to kind of get back into the game and get it within, I believe, three or four points. And then we, uh, you know, hit A.D. Mitchell on that massive touchdown deep. Uh, you got to go deep from time to time. And then obviously last year we hit Arian Smith on like a 70 yard touchdown to really key us back in that Ohio State game. So you're right. There, there is going to come a time where, where we need that deep ball, but um, much better for him to miss the deep ball and be consistent and not turn the ball over and put us in bad positions. And yeah, I think that if anything, we've been put in worse positions by fumbles this year than we really have by interceptions. He's thrown a few, but I, I feel like most of them are in deep in our territory or deep in their territory. So it's like, yeah, we, we don't get points, but we also don't put ourselves in a place where all of a sudden we're giving up a ton of points. Um, I think he's had one or two maybe in our side of his five, I think, interceptions in total. He hasn't thrown many. So um, any final thoughts, Kyler, before we kind of talk about what the, this week was? It was an insane week uh, looking beyond the Georgia game. No, I mean, I, I'm ready to hop into, you know, all the events that transpired uh, over the weekend. It was, it was you know, pretty pretty crazy. Um, I know that we'll touch on Oklahoma and Kansas, but, you know, a lot of teams were, were struggling with, with folks that they shouldn't have struggled with. So it was a great, great week uh, of college football and yeah, ready to hop right into it. Well, tell me. I mean, what what were the what were your main takeaways from from the weekend outside of Georgia? I mean, what, I know you mentioned Kansas, Oklahoma. I mean, that was the biggest game I feel like. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, we picked Kansas. It was one of a. We went three for three, folks. All right, so we're back to five hundred at least on a weekly basis for our picks. We got uh, wins against as we picked Kansas. We picked Air Force who covered, and we picked Georgia who covered. Uh, did not cover UNC versus Georgia Tech. In fact, didn't even pick the right winner of that game. JMU did not cover their large uh, spread against Old Dominion, although they did win. And BYU uh, picked them plus 18 in uh, Texas, I believe, won by 24. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I do know that Texas covered the spread, so three and three, but we're going to bring it back this week. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but Kyler, I, I don't know. I mean, what was, was that the, was that the biggest thing that you, you think from the weekend, Oklahoma going down, or was there something else that surprised you even more or, uh, just something crazier? I don't, I don't know. Break it down for me. Well, you know, I know we selected Kansas, you know, in our betting six pack last week, but them actually coming out with the victory, that was the most surprising you know, part of the weekend for me. Uh, you know, hats off to, Coach Leopold and the job that he's done down there at Kansas. Uh, definitely it's going to be in the running for you know, Big 12 Coach of the Year, maybe Coach of the Year in the NCAA. But uh, incredible you know, win with just kind of a crazy uh, stoppage in play due to, due to weather and coming back and refocusing and going to halftime, regrouping again and, and coming out and, and playing great ball. 
So, I mean, it, it was a very mentally challenging win um, for, for the Jayhawks, but they were able to pull it out. And, um, you know, it doesn't ruin Oklahoma's season by any means. I think that, you know, their season is still ahead of them. If they can, you know, cor- you know right the ship and, and, and correct, uh, you know, their wrongs from this past week, I think that they'll, they'll be okay. But, um, you know, two, two teams that I, you know, want to talk about was Washington um, and Ohio State. So Ohio State, um, another week just seeming to, to, to leave an opponent around, not really able to um, step on their throat and, and, and pull away. They, they played Wisconsin at, at Camp Randall, had, had a pretty close game there. I mean, it was two touchdowns, but, um, yeah, Wisconsin was in that game the, the majority of the time. And then, uh, you yeah, know, Washington, another week in a row uh, of, yeah, of struggling against the Stanford team who – um, you know, whether they are a good team or not, that that's still up for debate. I know they had a, an excellent comeback uh, against uh, against Colorado a couple weeks ago. Um, so, so maybe they're better than we're giving them credit for. But has me a little bit, bit concerned if I'm a Huskies fan, um, you know, heading into the rest of the schedule. I mean, it, have, have they kind of been figured out on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, I think so, because um, teams are now having success against them. But um, – you know, I do think Michael Penix is still playing really good ball. He still has a, a group of elite wide receivers. They're still one of the top teams out there, but um, they've got to clean some stuff up on the defensive side of the ball. That's for sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out with them. But were there any, you know, games that that you saw that that you know stuck out to you um, on Saturday? Yeah, Tyler. I think for me. It, it just continues the theme of kind of parody and kind of as we've spoken about once and we'll speak about again, probably till the end of the season, how there really isn't too many teams that are real elite and just are able to dominate every weekend. You saw it with Kansas and Oklahoma. I mean, two very good teams and sure enough, uh, Kansas playing at home in kind of bad weather able to able to use that to to their advantage and and get a win there and i think that was uh but but to the point is we picked that it wasn't all that surprising um seeing arizona win against oregon state i think once again it's like oh these teams are pretty good we knew that they like were showing life and no they're showing a lot of life and um so i think as we continue down the path towards the college football playoff we're going to see a lot more, I feel like, teams like Arizona get some wins, maybe crack into the top 25. Maybe it's a team like Oklahoma State that, that continues to improve and continues to really look great. They beat uh, Cincinnati 45-13, uh, and that, that was an impressive game, I felt like, because that's a team that I, I was just putting together, Kyler, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, teams that – have a shot at the playoffs and we're going to talk about two lost teams. I'm going to go through two lost teams that might have a shot with you. And that's a team that I don't have on the list. And I mean, you lose to South Alabama, who's 500 at home by 26, you're not going to be on there, but man, they're probably kicking themselves about that because they could be seven and one right now and really having an opportunity. And I mean, you look at the games, they beat Kansas state 29, 21. We know how good Kansas state's playing, but then, Went over Kansas, beat West Virginia on the road by 14, and West Virginia is not a slouch. And it's just like, yeah, there, there's, there is an opportunity there for for Oklahoma State, but sometimes you got to get it right with 
you know, your personnel and they didn't have the right quarterback. And Kyler, I really hope this parity continues. And it's a bummer that we're seeing the conference realignment um, because I do think we're going to continue to see this parity. But this weekend has kind of taught me another thing, which is as I'm looking through the standings, uh, and as you see these un, undivisioned conference, massive behemoth conferences start to kind of play as one, what I'm starting to realize is you have a team like Virginia Tech who's four and four overall, but not all conference schedules are made equal. And they right now, if they beat Louisville this upcoming weekend, have an opportunity to have the inside track to make it to um, Charlotte to go to a to go to a conference championship. And I don't know, Kyler, I think we're going to start to see teams take advantage of weak scheduling with, within these conferences and have the possibility to go to these conference championships. I think where we had it was really was really good because everybody kind of played everybody, and then you would see the top two teams uh, go in. Now I feel like you have a 16-team conference where it's undivisioned. I mean – half the teams don't see each other and there could be situations where there are just teams that uh, don't really see many of the top teams. And I know divisions have that problem too. You can look at the big 10 and look at how they really, it's not equal this year at all and hasn't been in quite some time. And you also look at the sec in years where, you know, the sec West has been super strong in the sec East has not been as strong, but at least in the end, you see those two top teams, you know, kind of go and play each other. Whereas, uh, you know, what we might end up seeing is some teams really weak getting to the conference championship. And I, I don't know. I think that um, that is going to be the biggest thing, I think, to navigate, especially in NIL. And as there is more parity, like, are we going to have buyer's remorse um, about, conference realignment but maybe i'm going down a rabbit hole that we don't want to go i don't know do you have anything to say on that i do think that you know with, with the you know increased parity in college football with the transfer portal um and nil that um i personally think it's going to be a good thing um with the expanded playoff um having some teams like i mean i know james madison couldn't make it this year but you know seeing them have have their shot at it and a team like you mentioned Virginia Tech um, having a shot at, at the ACC title, uh, a team that might be a weaker, you know, ACC um, opponent, but still deserving of that shot if they if they win their conference and, and make it in. So I, I think that there's there's enough room with 12 teams to be able to side a true national championship, and so I don't think that we're going to have buyer's remorse um, with this, and I think that it's just going to be that much more electric. Um, you know, w- when December comes and we, we have playoff games week in and week out, it's going to be, be an exciting time um, to be a college football fan. But, um, no, I, I do hear your point. Yeah, Kyler, I don't think I explained myself right on that. I really wasn't necessarily talking about the playoff. I think the playoff is going to be awesome. What I'm talking about is the how conferences are getting dissolved. So we're seeing these larger 16, 18-team conferences And my fear is that like we may see a playoff where you have four SEC teams and like only two of them have even seen each other during the year. I I don't know. Like it just I feel like it allows for like maybe not to like us to not see as many decisive games during the year. So then we get to this playoff and it's like, well, who knows, even with teams in in their same conferences. And it's like I kind of just wish that 
we were back to at least just five main, com- you know, I think where we had it, five major conferences was great, but then you at least have within that the idea that, okay, uh, you're going to get the five conference champions. You'll get an additional conference champion from the rest of the country on teams playing at this level. And then from there, that gives another 50% to at-large teams. So if it's a really even year, you get maybe it's spread out through all six comp, you know, maybe the mid-major gets two teams in or a, um, you know, spread out two teams for every conference, one team gets three. What I'm saying is that with all this parity and how teams can be up and down too from year to year due to the transfer portal and NIL, when you expand out and you have a glut, I'm just worried that there are going to be teams that end up making it into the 12-team playoff who really aren't deserving, but just due to scheduling breaks and things like that. And I think when you have a more compartmentalized country, everybody's kind of at least seeing everybody on some level And so unless you have like a super weak Pac-10 and super weak ACC that has nothing to show for it, um, which has been very rare, I feel like there's at least one or two teams that are decently strong who are deserving of going to the playoffs. And then I think because there's a little bit more parity, everybody plays everybody um, in the other conferences. I don't know. I just think you get to see more – decisive outcomes if you will but maybe i'm wrong i don't know yeah i mean that makes sense i mean with you know you're gonna have these really large power conferences right and those teams aren't gonna all be able to play one another um it's just you know there's not enough enough weeks um in the schedule for for all of those teams to to deem someone as the true champion um of that conference and you know, like you said, there's going to be you know, teams that really get the luck of the draw when it comes to scheduling and, and are going to be, um, you know, invited to the to the playoffs that maybe they don't belong in. And so, man, that's something that they will have to monitor um, as as these conferences realign and, and reorganize and, and see how that, you know, affects the, the product of, of, of the playoffs. But um, it's all, you know, uh, very interesting. It's all very new to, to everyone. So it'll be interesting to see how all of that, um, goes down and, and, and how it's going to affect uh, the product on the field and, and whether or not we're going to be seeing the, the most elite teams um, going to war with one another um, at the end of the year. Yeah, I think in the end, it, some of it comes down to timing too. It's, it's very fascinating and sad. Had the Pac-12 put this type of uh, conference uh, slate of games together uh, two years ago, ESPN probably would have signed them to a massive deal. Had there been a 12-team playoff four years ago, I think people would have started seeing, okay, I can have an easier direct path if I play in the um, Pac-12 versus the SEC, who get beats up on each other versus the Big 12. And I think there would be a lot of advantage to doing that. And then the other thing is, I think that where a lot of these, as everybody says, the, the uh, college football is controlled by the tele, by the television networks. And literally it was the television networks that said, we're not having enough good inventory year in, year out. You need to break up the conferences so that Georgia plays Alabama more and that, you know, we're getting more games. So bring in Oklahoma and Texas. We want those games. But really all that needed to happen was, hey, w- let's do a power five, like sharing, you know, deal 
amongst like non-conference and make sure that, you know, everybody has two marquee non-conference games on top of that, that you're playing or two decent non-conference games against each other. And I think that really you could, you could arrive at the same place. Um, but it is what it is. And like I say, it'll be interesting to see. I, I do wonder if at some point in time, we don't, we don't see something smaller or, I mean, I think the unfortunate inevitable thing is, is that we might see like a premier division where it's just the top 30 teams or something break off into a like elite division champions league style um, conference. But like I said, we are going way too far down the rabbit hole than I was intending to go. But it did it did make me think you talked about what was going on this weekend. And I saw Virginia Tech there sitting there at like four and four and three and one in the ACC. And I'm like, man, they really have not, they have not played many teams. Um, but yet they, you know, they, they have a very advantageous schedule to possibly get there, um, which is just, which is kind of wild. Um, all right, Kyler, any final thoughts before we kind of turn our attention to uh, looking at rankings and uh, kind of, we're going to, we're going to rank our top four, but we're also, before we get there, going to, Kind of talk about who who deserves to maybe at least we can say has potential to be ranked in the top four at some point or at the end of the season or uh, at this point who is eliminated. But like I said, before we get there, any final thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I think everyone's kind of excited to, to see, you know, we're, we're recording this on a Monday and these rankings from the actual college football playoff committee come out tomorrow. So uh, I'm interested to see kind of, Hear who you've got um, in your top four and, and your first two out. And then, you know, who's got an outside shot looking in um, to be able to make this playoff? Um, it should be interesting because I, I do think that we continue to see parity. And, and there's going to be, you know, if we approach this conversation of, of who's the top four, first two out each week, it's going to it's gonna change week to week. Um, and it could change a lot. So um, uh, it's all very exciting stuff. But, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. I mean, um, you want to go ahead and, and – uh, um, rattle off your, your your top four, and then I can go for my top four. Well, I think before that, I want to talk about who's eliminated and who is who even remains as a potential as a potential threat to make the playoff because there really aren't that many teams, Skyler, um, that that remain with a with a potential like road to the playoffs, if you will. Um, and and before I start with that, I want to just make one one point. And that's tomorrow. Obviously, it's Halloween, and man, the the playoff committee just loves like fucking up holidays. You know, they're releasing the first play, the first uh, rankings on Halloween of all nights. Like, not like everybody who wants to be tuned into this is either like at parties enjoying stuff or has children, or for me, a niece and nephew that I want to be out and you know trick or treat with. So. Thank you, playoff. If it was Wednesday night, I would be watching. I would be there watching. Well, I wouldn't. We're doing something at the stadium, but like the rest of the country would be watching. What is, what's your deal? And then, you know, you go back to last year, like we literally watched the Georgia game up until the freaking, you know, the kick or the, uh, the ball drops, which is cool if you're a Georgia fan. But I mean, if you have any like, I mean, I was lucky. Uh, I, w- I wasn't with my significant other on that night. She she was out with uh, with friends in New York, and I was back home. But 
I mean, if I was, if I, if I was with my significant kid out there, uh, and she's wasn't the awesome person she was, I feel like a lot of people had to watch on their phone and stuff. So, uh, just don't, don't schedule things on major holidays, bottom line playoff committee. Like it's a holiday of its own. Like, why do you need to share with other established holidays, create your own holidays? Yeah. I heard, I heard a lot of, um, Buckeye girlfriends didn't get kisses last year um, at at midnight. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of distressed relationships after December thirty first uh, around the state of Ohio. That's what I've been hearing. Uh, it would not surprise me. It would not surprise me at all. And I bet there was distressed Georgia relationships too, because like if if your significant other is not a football fan and. I know it's insane. It's crazy to think about, but there are people out there who do not adhere to the, you know, to the football. Uh, I wanted to say like the Judeo-Christian history, but I wanted to say like the the Southern football history. I don't know. We'll come up with some other, you know, term to kind of uh, talk about that tradition. And uh, anyways, yeah, that, that, and that's okay. But like, if if you're trying to tell them that like, no, New Year's Eve is a no go because I'm watching Georgia football. Like, guys, you can make it on the first. Nothing says that you have to do it on New Year's Eve. And like I say, you're just upsetting people. How about you do that? But I digress about their horrible that about their horrible scheduling. I've talked a lot about scheduling today, Kyler. Uh, but I digress about that and. Um, yeah, let's get into it. Let's talk about um, the teams that I think are are have legitimate shots. And I think what we can start with are the teams. Well, first off, let's start with the teams that are totally eliminated. And where I've eliminated teams are basically every power five or every non-power five team at this point because they have a loss with the exception of Air Force is eliminated. There is a very, very outside shot that Air Force could make the playoff. I put them in. I don't think it's it's high at all. I think they have the lowest opportunity of anyone. But I do think that if it gets crazy and there is a two-loss team that gets in, at that point in time, maybe it is time to like look at their resume, look at what Air Force has done, especially if Air Force is like blowing teams out late down the stretch and beating everybody crazily, maybe they get in over a two-loss team. Just depending, um, probably not. But so taking that out and then saying, if you have more than two losses, you are eliminated. Um, And even some two-loss teams in the Power Five are eliminated. So let's get into it. The teams with two losses that I think still remain, Kyler, are LSU, Kansas State, Kansas, Tennessee, UCLA, Utah, USC, Rutgers, and Air Force. And you might be asking, like, all right, how can you say that these teams remain? Well, it's more about some of them who they've beaten – Definitely about who they've lost to and how bad they've lost, and also about what awaits them on the schedule. Um, you start with a team like Rutgers; they lost by twenty-four to Michigan on the road, and eleven to Wisconsin on the road. That eleven to Wisconsin on the road, not terrible. Um, twenty-four on the road—that's a tough thing to get over. But they do have Penn State, Ohio State this weekend, and that's why I think that they do have a an outside shot. And that's if everybody else has two losses. Um, there is there is potential because 
If you're trying to tell me that they have a win over Penn State and Ohio State, and let's say Penn State ends up um, beating Michigan, Ohio State beats Michigan, you know, you're talking about a, a team who has two very, very legit, probably top five, six, seven win, uh, you know, wins on their schedule um, as far as the rankings go. So I think that Rutgers still has a path to the tie, uh, to the, you know, final four. Do you agree with that or do you think they're eliminated? I personally think that they're eliminated. Um, just, you know, that loss to Wisconsin definitely is glaring on, on the schedule. Um, I don't think that I think there's going to be teams that have um, two losses as well that'll have quote unquote better losses than, than they will, and so I, I I'm eliminating them from even having a path at this point with with that Wisconsin loss. And I don't think you're you're wrong for thinking that because if we are down to two loss teams, you have to believe that there's going to be at least three or four to choose from, and there probably are going to be better better resume to lost teams if we get to this point. All right. So I, I think that Rutgers, well, I said that they had a, an opportunity. I, I I'm going to move them down to the eliminated. Um, the other teams that I have of two losses that are power five that have been fully eliminated, Kyler, um, at least on my list, I have Iowa, the eye test alone. I mean, they lost to Penn state by 31 It was on the road, but that, I, do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I agree that, that Iowa should be eliminated. Um, you know, they, um, I feel like they lost uh, not only Penn State by a lot, but um, lost to Minnesota as well. And so that, that Minnesota loss, you know, alone um, should, should eliminate them from being even a contender and having a path to, to making this playoff. I would tend to agree. All right, and that's why I put them on the eliminated. Oklahoma State. Um, which crazy, they, they would be a very intriguing team. I think they might win Bedlam this weekend, but uh, they early on really struggled and had two straight losses at home against a South Alabama team that's only four and four and then lost at, um, to Iowa State on the road only by three. But I think that South Alabama game in particular, I just don't think they, they hadn't figured out the right personnel. They got a better quarterback in, but I feel like they might be a team that's looking back kind of like Georgia in 2007 and saying, Oh my God, we wish we had the first five weeks of the season back because we're playing, we're, we're playing to the level of anybody else in the country, at least 99% of the teams at this point. But I don't think you come back from that South Alabama loss. Uh, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's unfortunate and they're going to have to take pride in, in being you know, a spoiler for you know the rest of the big 12 and, and their seasons, which you know, it is a point of pride, and you, know, you still have the Big 12 right in front of you. Um, they, they've had multiple shots to, to win the Big 12 over the last couple of years, and this might be the year. So it's not something to say, like, the season's completely over, but um, as far as the path to the playoff, um, that that's South Alabama loss is, is massive, um, and, and the Iowa State game. Um, but, you know, Iowa State I don't think is necessarily a bad team. I know that they're very well coached, so – um, but unfortunately, that South Alabama game for me that that you know ruins their chances of, of of a path to the playoff. But that doesn't mean that they're still not a formidable opponent that can beat every single person that they play. Absolutely, I, I totally agree. I think that they they might be that team that is the spoiler that that shuts the door on any sort of uh, Big Twelve team appearing because there's uh, a potential where they beat Oklahoma. 
uh, end up making it all the way to the to the conference championship and then beat Texas. And that would leave, you know, three teams in the Big 12 with two losses. I think you're looking at Oklahoma State as the team who beat both those other teams. So you'd be putting them in in that scenario. And yeah, I just think that there's going to be another two loss team if we're in that scenario where they're, you know, you're going to choose that other team over. All right. The other two teams that I've eliminated, the ACC tandem of UNC and Miami. I just feel like UNC lost to UVA at home and Georgia Tech on the road. I mean, both those teams are feisty. I think that they're improving, but like that is just, it's just not, you, you just can't do that. And then Miami, they lose to Tech as well at home by three. We Everybody knows that story and how they lost and just fumbled away that game quite literally. And then UNC uh, by 10 on the road. Listen, I think that of, of the teams, it's like uh, Miami has at FSU and Louisville, so they could, you know, double up those games and look a lot better. But I just don't think you, once again, if there are two lost teams, I, I think there's going to be a team with a, with a two a resume that's, that's better than either Miami or UNC, but I don't know, are either of those teams still uh, on your bubble, if you will? So UNC and, and Miami both, um, you know, it's crazy how much things can change in a matter of you know, two weeks, you know, for UNC, um, UVA lost a couple of weeks ago, dropping a game to Tech. Uh, that definitely diminishes their hopes of any kind of path to the playoff. And then, you know, we keep mentioning Georgia Tech as a reason why all these teams are, are not going to be able to make it. So, I mean, maybe there's something, you know, that's changing the water there. But um, I just don't think that in any voters' eyes that, that a loss to Georgia Tech is going to be redeemable, um, especially after they see the walloping that the dogs put on them at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, listen, Georgia Tech is a is a feisty team. It's crazy. I think they beat UNC three straight times, which is just wild to think about because UNC has been the more talented team, I would say, all three years. But, uh, but you know, it just um, – you just can't lose games like that. That's the bottom line, and especially uh, a losing a game at home, which each of them did, Miami to Georgia Tech and UNC to UVA, like – it just it, it's kind of inexcusable, and um, like I say, both of those teams, UVA, it's awesome to see that after all their adversity to get that win. Uh, Georgia Tech, honestly, I like to see them improved. I would like to see a game that's actually something at the end of the year, and that could be a resume booster, and not really just like something that honestly pushes our our overall schedule down. And that's a game that's just locked in, and there was a time. I think where Georgia Tech actually was a perennial ranked team at least and had a half decent uh, football program, but those times feel long and distant uh, ago. So, uh, anyways, um, the bottom line is those teams we agree they're eliminated. Okay, the remaining two lost teams, Kyler, I have them in, um, and we'll go through each of them. I. Um, and this is just also with the assumption we're right after this, we're going to go straight into our top four teams because any team with just one loss or no losses in the power five, I'm just going ahead and saying and, assu- and assuming those teams have a option and a shot to make it to, um, to the final four. Now, some of them more outside like a Louisville who has a, not a great loss, but I mean, it, they would have to beat a FSU team possibly, or, you know, only have one loss, 
and show up against FSU, they beat FSU, you're saying maybe they, I mean, they might have a, a shot because they have a couple other games on their schedule that are difficult. So with that, just kind of putting that out of the way, let's get into the other two lost teams. Um, Kansas State, uh, and that's a team that I say still has a shot because you look at their losses at Missouri um, just by three and at Oklahoma State by eight. Haven't lost by double digits all year. And right now, I mean, TCU 41-3, beat Houston 41-0. They have a massive matchup at Texas this weekend. If they go into Texas and they crush them and then, you know, go into Kansas a couple weeks later, crush Kansas, um, dominate Iowa State and Baylor, and then let's say meet Oklahoma in the um, conference championship and dominate Oklahoma, there certainly is a, I think, an argument to make that Kansas State would be the strongest two-loss team um, of two-loss teams out there, um, and could make it in, um, you know, backdoor to the playoff. I mean, do you agree that there is a still a path for Kansas State? There's still a path for Kansas State, but I think that they need help. I don't think it's uh, necessarily that they control their own destiny. I think a team like uh, Missouri needs to, um, yeah, play very well. Yeah, potentially beat a team like Georgia, um, you know, uh, maybe their next game against uh, Tennessee, I believe. I mean, so it's, it's a tough slate, and they, they've got to win those games and be and have that be one of their, you know, uh, you know good losses, so to speak, out there. Um, same goes for Oklahoma State. I think that they need Oklahoma State to uh, continue to win and, and beat Oklahoma in order to have a shot. So I think that their success, you know, really depends on, um, you know, Missouri and Oklahoma State and, and how they're able to fare the rest of the season. But I do think that they have some quality wins on there, even outside of the, the Big 12. With, you know, a win against Troy, I think Troy is one of the better teams in the, in the nine-power five teams. And, and so, um, but yeah, there's still a path out there for Kansas State, but it, I think it's a slim chance um, due to, you know, the teams that they have losses against have the potential to lose games here in the future. Um, and not look like as good, you know, good of losses, so to speak. Yeah, I think Missouri. Yeah, you're right. They, Missouri has some tough games, not just against Georgia, but I do think that they're going to be a you know a nine win team at the very least at the end of the year. And um, I, I don't know. I think that Oklahoma State is going to continue to improve. Now let's just stay in the state of Kansas. I think Kansas is a team who also still holds a very slim hope at. At going to um, at going to the Final Four, and this is why um, they have a win against Oklahoma, one of the better wins of the year. Um, they were going to get Kansas State at home if they dominate Kansas State. Um, if and and then this is the major if they would need Oklahoma to lose again and Texas, I feel like to win out so that they meet Texas in the finals. And if they meet Texas in the finals and are able to avenge that loss that they had earlier in the season on the road that was by 26, it was not a good look loss. I think that would be the uh, the key to possibly them backdooring in. But once again, I think that if you're talking about a team that beats Oklahoma, beats Kansas State, if Kansas State continues to propel up and then, you know, avenges a loss to to BYU, I do think that they they might have enough to get in. Once again, it's outside, but I think that they still remain as a team with a with a road to the to the final four. hundred percent. I think it all um, 
you know, it comes down to whether or not they're going to be able to face Texas again and avenge that loss from earlier in the season. You know, it, was a, it was a brutal loss, but, um, you know, the Dogs have avenged a loss before to a team like Auburn and kind of came back in the SEC championship, uh, propelled themselves to um, yeah, making the playoffs that year. And I can see a similar scenario by avenging a loss to um, a quality team like Texas. All right, so we're in agreement. Kansas remains on the board. And we're going to do this every every uh, week as we lead up. We're going to eliminate teams, Kyler. And I don't think any team is going to come back on the board. Who knows? But we keep Kansas as remaining a an option. Now, let's move to the conference that is nearest and dearest to our hearts, the SEC. Uh, I, the, there are two two lost teams that I think have a shot, and those teams are Tennessee and um, Tennessee losses at Alabama by fourteen, at Florida by thirteen. But you know that that loss at Florida by thirteen that's the third game of the season. So I think that that's. It, to their advantage, um, their first road game of the year. I think losing earlier in the year is better than losing later. You want to be putting in your best performances later. Um, and they have a real opportunity uh, at Missouri, and then they get Georgia at home. Uh, they win those two game stretches. They get to the SEC championship game, and then they end up playing um, and they end up playing Alabama, and then they are able to avenge that loss earlier in the year against Alabama. In that scenario, um, obviously coupled with some other things, allowing for a two-loss team to to have the path, I think there's definitely a, a at least possibility that Tennessee could make the playoffs. So I keep them in because of that. I think you know they if they beat us and they beat Missouri, I mean we would be the best win that they would have. And yeah, I mean I think that obviously you would also have to expect Georgia maybe to have lost another game so that Tennessee can even get into the um, championship. So I mean in that scenario, it's it is there's a lot of things that a lot of dominoes that have to fall. But also Georgia's next three games, I mean Missouri, Old Miss, and Tennessee. So it's not impossible. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that a lot needs to happen in order for them to um, even make that SEC championship. I mean, that, that's involving two losses for Georgia, um, one by them, and then, you know, whether it's Ole Miss, whether it's um, Missouri that ends up beating us, you know, uh, that definitely paves the way for them to make it to um, to Atlanta for, for, the, for the conference championship. And then, yes, you know, avenging that loss to Alabama, you know, only propels their chances to, to making the playoffs. And, like you mentioned, the the early season loss to Florida, um, the recency bias is a thing. And so um, I think that you get a little bit of forgiveness for, for that early season loss to um, to a team like Florida. But, you know, once again, another another two loss team that, that needs a lot of chaos to happen. Um, Georgia losing two games. I think that is, you know, that's dang, dang near impossible um, in the regular season. So um, but, but you can't can't rule them completely out because it's not an impossibility. Um, at all that Georgia could lose, you know, one of those two games. Yeah, I mean, we're playing three ranked teams. I think that the way that the schedule lines up, our next two games at home, that definitely breaks in our advantage. But I there there is a slim possibility. I'd say less than one percent chance, probably, but slim possibility that all these things happen and that Tennessee can get in because of the teams that they're playing and the way that they can boost their resume and you know the potential to possibly avenge a loss against, you know, against Alabama on a neutral site. And it might be Alabama's with one loss there, you know, then all of a sudden it's like, which of them do you take? Take Tennessee. They, you know, they went on a neutral site. Okay. 
the other team from the SEC, who I honestly think might have the best path of any two-loss team, uh, the LSU Tigers. And um, I think you look at their losses, FSU by 21, not great, but FSU has you know, proven to be one of the best teams in the country. Also, it's a Sunday night game, first game of the year. Those types of losses you can kind of excuse away, I feel like, or at least people are able to excuse those losses easier than losing in the ninth game of the year, for instance. Um, as we saw with like UNC losing like seven and eight back to back, that's not good. Um, and then the other game that LSU lo- lost uh, was on the road to Ole Miss, who's been a really good team. And so uh, both their losses are to, you know, top 10, top 15 teams in the country. Obviously, we know they go to Alabama, play Florida, play Georgia State and Texas A&M to finish out the year. And then, you know, if they meet a um, either an undefeated or one loss Georgia team, they win the conference title with two um you know, I think it would have to be probably a one-loss Georgia team uh, who who makes it there, but is still in the top four. And LSU wins, and insanity happens, and all of a sudden, you know, they're of those two-loss teams. I think that you know they would definitely be a uh, an attractive one, um, just given you know who they would have beaten Alabama and Georgia in the last five weeks of the season. Um, they probably have an opportunity to impress more than anybody else. Yeah, I think that they have one of the yeah better resumes out there um, as far as two lost teams, um, as far as who they've lost to. Um, huge win over Missouri for them as well. And if Missouri continues to to win, I mean, it only bodes well for, for them. Um, but, you know, uh, a game against Alabama is huge. That's going to be you know, another quality win if they're able to beat them this week. Um, and then if they're able to you know, go square to square with Georgia and knock them off, that, that's huge as well. And, you know, I, I, I don't know if we would, you know, even go over a two-loss LSU team that beat us head-to-head that has a win over Alabama. Um, you know, really kind of also depends on, you know, how Ole Miss closes out the season too. Um, you know, because if Ole Miss wins out, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that they would go. Um, maybe over them, or it might be a three-way tie between them and Bama. But, um, you know, for any two-loss team, it's obviously not going to be a clear path there. There's got to be chaos around them in order to make it. But um, still still not an impossibility that, that you know, LSU um, makes it. I think they have the best shot out of all of the two-loss teams to make it. Agreed. Um, maybe Kansas State being the other, the other caveat. I don't know, or Kansas, just given the fact that Kansas might be able to flip it and beat the – you know, I think teams that have the ability to avenge one of their losses is huge. Um, and maybe, you know, getting getting over the hump, getting there. Um, so other other teams that, that might have a potential shot, um, there are three teams with two losses in the Pac-12. And those UCLA who have lost by to Utah um, by seven on the road, Oregon State by 12 on the road. Um, those aren't bad losses. And if they're able to be Arizona at Arizona, beat Arizona State at home, beat USC on the road, beat Cal at home, uh, and then potentially meet up with Washington or Oregon um, in the in the Pac-12 championship, maybe there's a possibility. I do think that right now they're they're probably the least likely 
of um, of the remaining Pac-12 teams to make it. But I, I don't know. And, and maybe you might think that they're eliminated. I'd probably be fine, honestly, to take them all. Um, but let's go ahead and just go through all three of the Pac-12 teams, and you can speak to each of them. Uh, Utah, there, there are two losses at Oregon State, 21-7, not terrible. But then at Oregon at home, Oregon at home, 35-6. That's a tough, tough task to get to get over that hump. I will say they get Arizona State. They get at Washington, at Arizona versus Colorado. They're able to win at Washington. Some crazy things happen and get into the Pac-12 championship game and able to meet Oregon and avenge that loss somehow. Um, I I think there might be a very outside chance. So I put Utah with a more, uh, you know, a more opportunistic chance because they actually get Washington. You see, uh, UCLA doesn't get to play Washington. And so, you know, without having that opportunity, it's hard to think that Washington's going to get two losses. But yeah, I mean, you never know. Um, and then the third team, USC Trojans, who I think actually have the best shot of any team to, uh, to get there. And, and the reason being is that they only have three games left on their schedule and they're versus Washington at Oregon versus UCLA. I mean, they're going to have a real opportunity to completely change the whole trajectory of their season. And, you know, you look at a team that runs off three wins like that. And if they're decisive and then let's say they turn right around and, you know, beat either Washington or Oregon for a second time, uh, you might be looking at it and saying, okay, like they're passing the eye test now. Something happened with their defense. Now, do I think that's going to happen? No, but I'm just saying, I think that, uh, um, you know, I do think that Utah and USC might have a very, very slim outside chance and maybe UCLA deserves to kick the curb. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, you, you can't completely eliminate UCLA due to there's being more games to play and more parity that can happen within the conference. Um, but, you know, I do see them, you know, I agree with you that they have the, the, you know, the worst chance of making the playoffs out of the three, two loss teams in the back 12 Utah. I think they have, have somewhat of a good shot there. Um, you know, being able to play Utah and beat them, um, is, is a huge one, um, for them. Um, but they, I think that they need Washington to, to lose one more time in order to make a conference championship to potentially beat a team like Oregon. So, um, you know, I, I see, see Utah still with the shot and doing it. And, and, you know, they're going to need some help from somebody to, to, to beat Washington. Um, if Washington loses another game and they're able to avenge the loss to, to Oregon, they're in a prime spot to, um, to make it to, to the playoffs. Um, Oregon state. Yeah. They're, they're a two loss team, but you know, they have losses to Arizona and Washington state. Um, who are both good teams, but they're not elite teams. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and eliminate Oregon State from my um, potential playoff contenders. Um, didn't know if you wanted to speak to them real quick and, and whether you, you see them having a path to make it. I mean, they do have Washington and Oregon to close out the year. So, I mean, um, could be an argument made for, for them to make it as well. But um, me personally, I think that those two losses are, are you know, going to be – um, you know, when you talk about a pool of teams with two losses, that there's going to be other teams that have um, a better resume than they do. Quite frankly, I think that I think that if you're going to eliminate Oregon State, then really you got to eliminate almost all the Pac-12 teams. Or if you're going to remain all the Pac-12 teams in, and I'm glad I, I don't know why I missed Oregon State, but I think that they actually have um, 
a very legitimate shot because they do get the top two teams in the conference and they can give each of them a loss and you know they beat oregon and then i believe that they probably have the inside path because both would have two losses within conference to meet probably washington again and give washington a second loss which i mean that's really impressive and especially i mean listen arizona state or arizona and washington state um both like are not the top of the of the pac 12 but both are good teams and when you look at what the um what the team or you look at their losses they're by three and both are on the road i mean look at usc yeah they lost to Notre Dame by 28 and then they lose to utah only by two but at home um utah i mean they lost to oregon state that's a team the utah lost to oregon state you know and then they lost to oregon by 29 so honestly i would say utah probably to me gets eliminated before um you know before oregon state and then ucla is on this list and ucla lost to oregon state um also by 12 so I, I don't know. I think that in the end, um, if we're going to leave these other teams on, we should leave Oregon State on at least for the time being. Okay. I mean, I, I can see your point there. L- let's keep Oregon State in there, um, you know, still with chances to, to beat, you know, the top teams in the conference. Um, let's not rule them out just yet. But let, let's talk about, you know, the independent, um, you know, team in, in Notre Dame, um, a team that's that's very highly ranked and, and has had some good wins. Um I personally think that there is a shot. There's got to be a lot of chaos. I think that being an independent is hurting um, Notre Dame in this case. Not having the ability to go in and win a huge uh, conference championship really hurts their chances. So, you know, I, I, I put them in, in the lower tier of teams that, that I'm leaving eligible to make the playoffs, if that makes sense. It does, although I, I don't know that I see a path forward for them because – I think under this scenario, we were saying that there might be multiple two loss teams. And, you know, if there if there are two loss teams, um, you're probably thinking one two loss team is a conference champion. And when you really get down to it, like Notre Dame, yes, they played Ohio State very close, could have gone either way. They lost that game, really kind of got smoked by Louisville. Um, and you say what you want, um, but their best win is at Duke. Duke's a decent team. I don't know how that USC win is going to look at the end of the year. Uh, obviously, Clemson is really faded, so uh, that game's not going to look as good or as strong. And then Wake Forest and Stanford, there's really no way to, to make it up. And so I really feel like I don't know that I keep them on, and it's just because I don't know that – if we're there's going to be an LSU who has two losses or a Kansas State who has two losses that they might be competing against. Um, but, you know, I, I guess in the end, maybe the only thing is, is if there is a, um, you know, a, a scenario in which FSU wins out, Louisville loses a bunch of games, Texas and Oklahoma and the Big 12 kind of gobble each other up, the entire Washington, Oregon and um, Pac-12 kind of gobbled each other up. Uh, Georgia emerges as the definitely the top team, and then you have a you know Michigan or something, and then Ohio State loses a bunch of games, two or two or three games. It's like in that scenario maybe, but then again, I mean, then you have them there losing to Ohio State. So I don't know. I mean, if you want to keep them in, we'll keep them in. Um, but no, I. <laughs> 
you know, here's the thing. You know, looking at their schedule, I uh, I can see Duke losing um, again, dropping out of the top 25. Then who have they beat? You know, um, if they beat Clemson, that's that's gives them no chance at being a top 25 team. Uh, Duke losing to UNC, which is very very possible. Who has Notre Dame beat? And it's no one. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm cool with giving them the boot this early. See you later, Irish. One more team, Kyler, to, to talk about real quick. Air Force. They're a team with zero losses. They could go undefeated. They're going to get the Mountain West Championship game. But uh, the problem for me is there's just not strength to get that premier top win. And I don't know. I feel like there is a, there's going to be a two-loss team. Like a, Let's say if there is a two-loss team that makes it in, it's – you know, could be a two-loss Oregon who, you know, comes – who loses uh, down the stretch uh, one more game but then still makes it to the championship game and avenges against Washington. And I don't know. I think that there's enough strength up top. And I feel like Air, the only way for Air Force to, to remain in – and maybe there is a shot, but they would have to beat every team by like 30 down the stretch and just show that like they are – head and shoulders above every team in the Mountain West. Right. And and not only can they not beat teams by 30-plus, um, their offense isn't built to just be elite like a, like an LSU team, you know, is out there putting up, you know, 42-plus points every single game. I mean, that's not going to be this team, right? Uh, just with that um, triple option offense and or, and or the veer, whatever they're running over there, it's, it's not something that's going to catch – Voters' eyes. They're not going to have any quality wins um, on their schedule. I just don't see see a path for them making it. So I'm cool with nixing them right now. I mean, it would take absolute chaos uh, around the country. Um, yeah, maybe some bombs going off in, in some elite college city towns um, in order for them to make it. So um, I, I don't see it happening um, for for the Air Force, unfortunately. All right. Well, that makes 21 teams, Kyler, now that, that we're saying at this point in the season, and I think we're even leaving in some that may, if we really were to get down to drill down and try to run every scenario, we'd realize, okay, there probably isn't a path. But we're being we're still being pretty liberal with who still has a ticket that hasn't been ripped up yet into smithereens. So with that said, we got 21 teams. The teams that we just went over – of course, are definitely not going to be in your top four right now. Um, so just go ahead and give it to me. What are your top four, and and who are the two teams that are looking out that are trying to to crack in? So at this point, and, and you know, I've got Ohio State at number one, and the reason is mainly because of that win over Penn State. Um, the the win over the Irish obviously helps as well, but I think that's two wins that are um, high quality resume wins for them. Um, and so, you know, I, I've got them at number one. And, you know, I do not think that they are the best team in the country. And just to be clear, again, this is uh, purely off of resume um, is how, how I'm ranking these teams, um, how we're ranking the teams. Um, so I, I don't see them as the best team. But, you know, for my rankings, um, you know, that come out on Tuesday, if it was if they were mine, they're going to be at the top of the list. Um, and then at number two, I'm going to go with Washington. I think that that win over uh, a team like Oregon um, kind of sets them apart from, uh, you know, the remaining uh, undefeated teams that are in the Power Five conferences. So, you know, I've got got Washington sitting there at, at number two, 
Then at number three, I've got the Georgia Bulldogs. Um, and, and you could say that we haven't played any, anyone yet, but um, I think that we've played some pretty good three-loss teams in Florida and Missouri. I think that the way that we're winning these games um, is quite emphatic. Um, so I've got us at, at, at number three. And then at uh, number four, I have Florida State. I think that was a, a massive win against um, – LSU at the beginning of the year. I think that that rings true, shows that they have, um, you know, kind of interconference, uh, you know, wins there that are, that are quality. Um, I don't think that their, you know, Clemson wins going to really amount to, to much. So I think that LSU game really helps out uh, Florida State, but also just in, in the way that they've been winning here lately, um, having just really explosive players, exciting team to watch. Um, I, I feel like, you know, combining that with, that big win over LSU, big win over Duke, even though that might turn out not to be a great win. But for the time being, I'm including that as a quality win for, for Florida State. So I've got them at, at number four. And then on the outside looking in, I've got Michigan at five and then Oregon at six. Um, you know, both teams obviously have a chance to, you know, redeem themselves. Oregon, uh, if they went out and avenge a loss to Washington, they're going to be belonging in that top four spot. And then um, – Michigan at number five, um, you know, they, they just straight up haven't played anybody. I want to give them the, the nod into the top four based off of the eye test. I think that they're, you know, belonging either one or two, either Georgia or Michigan at the very top. But, um, you know, they'll have their shot at Penn State. They'll have their shot at Ohio State to get some quality victories on the resume before it's all said and done. But how do you see it shaking out on Tuesday and kind of how, how do you rank them? I probably rank them honestly the same way. Uh, if nothing else, maybe putting FSU at three and Georgia at four. And I could even see Georgia at five, but I think that if I was to rank resume, yeah, I'd probably put FSU uh, above Georgia just because um, they've had similar kind of big wins against like a Clemson who I view a similar opponent to, you know, a Kentucky, if you will. I believe they were right around ranked at the time that they met. Um, or hadn't fully slid. Uh, and then, you know, had a big win at home against Duke, beat Duke by 18. You could attribute that to Riley Leonard. But then, I mean, really just dominated LSU and in a way that we haven't seen LSU get dominated all year long. And listen, LSU has been inconsistent, but I mean, they, they've kept it close. And so I think that's maybe the most impressive win all year um, just from like a domination standpoint, you know, obviously the uh, Ohio State win at Notre Dame, I feel like coupled with a few of Ohio State's other wins is, um, you know, what propels them to the top. But yeah, I mean, this Florida State team certainly um, has two of the better wins uh, in, in college football right now. And so, uh, yeah, I'd probably put them there. Uh, Michigan at five for your point, they haven't played anyone. And I do think that you can, you can kind of talk trash on their schedule and you can kind of say like, you knew what your schedule was. You're not going out and trying to really, you know, play anybody that's on you all. Um, and they're going to get their opportunity in a few weeks. So it's fine. Like whatever. Um, but I, I also think, um, Oregon has just looked incredibly strong. So putting them at number six makes complete sense. Um, the other team that probably that probably are right there, nipping at, at Oregon's heels are probably Texas. 
um, Oklahoma and Alabama. Um, and, you know, each of them kind of have Alabama has been steady. And, you know, if you're really getting down to it, Alabama's had a lot of big wins. Um, they just haven't looked at quite as impressive as as Oregon in doing it. But um, they have stacked up wins against a lot of good opponents, including Tennessee and Ole Miss. Uh, so so Alabama's resume certainly um, I think is pretty good. Uh, and, and they could easily as if one of these other teams, you know, if Michigan loses or Ohio state loses, especially if Michigan loses at all, I think they easily get leapfrogged by, by one of these teams. But, um, there are, there are a lot of big matchups coming up and, um, let's, let's move on Kyler to the big matchups coming up this week. Um, we've got, uh, first let's talk about our six pack. Uh, we are picking Notre Dame minus three at Clemson. Uh, you know, we just are not not bought in on the Tigers anymore. I think Will Shipley might be even out with a with an injury. Um, it's yeah, it's not looking good for for Clemson right now, and it might not be a it might not be a bowl game for them. Uh, you've got OK State plus six versus Oklahoma. We're riding Oklahoma State. They've been playing excellent lately. Oklahoma hasn't looked as good, and I think beyond anything, the last Bedlam game for Oklahoma State at home, this atmosphere is going to be one of the best in all of college football. Uh, we're going Washington minus three and a half at UN's USC Southern Cal. Washington uh, hasn't played as well as as we would have liked to see them play. As you said, they've kind of figured out. Maybe defenses have kind of figured out Michael Penix. Uh, fortunately for Washington, we just don't think USC has a defense, uh, and so we think that they're going to be able to score. And Washington's defense will be able to do enough, kind of as they did against Oregon to kind of limit, um, you know, limit possessions or show up big in important spots. And we think, you know, they win by seven or maybe a little bit more. FSU at Pitt. Uh, FSU's been playing better as of late. Uh, it's a 21-and-a-half-point spread. Pitt's been really inconsistent. More so, it's just FSU's playing really well. We're going FSU. Uh, Air Force minus 18-and-a-half. We rolled with them last week, got the win. They're versus Army at home. We like the altitude. We like the Air Force. And finally, Arizona, uh, the late night game, they have been dangerous in this late night spot. They host UCLA. And yeah, we're just, we're riding the the Wildcats. We think the Wildcats have got that mojo. We think they're going to be one of the stronger finishers as we end 2023. And, and we're riding them. Uh, any thoughts, Kyler, on these six pack of games? Yeah, I mean, uh, Notre Dame, we had to go with them. Um, yeah, maybe not as much. I mean, they did just blow out Pitt, um, you know, 58, 7, whatever it was. Uh, but, you know, a lot, a lot of discord happening right now in the Clemson locker room. Um, yeah, people getting in fights. Uh, you know, Dabo seems to kind of have lost control of the locker room there uh, in Clemson. And so um, with that kind of uh, discord and, and kind of, Notre Dame trending the right direction. It was an easy pick to go with, with Notre Dame there. Um, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Um, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, like you mentioned, Bedlam's going to be absolutely on fire this weekend. Um, they've been playing well lately. Oklahoma, the last two weeks, the Sooners have, have struggled with UCF and then losing to Kansas last week. Um, we're going to stick with that trend and, and, and um, you know, 
put our wager there on, on Oklahoma State. Um, Washington versus USC. I, I had to go with Washington there. Not not so much because of how you know Washington has performed the last two weeks, but it's more so uh, the lack of defense that, that I've seen from Southern Cal. Um, and I think that things are kind of falling apart in a similar fashion to how they're falling apart at Clemson. Um, probably going to start seeing a little bit of disarray within the locker room there. Just doesn't seem to be a, a focus group of guys um, out there playing ball. So um, it was easy for me to go with go with Washington there, a team that's got a strong quarterback and a strong team this year. Um, yeah, beat a great team in Oregon. Um, I think it's going to be pretty easy for them to cover um, three and a half. And it's not like USC is going to have this crazy atmosphere um, for this game because they're soft California people out there. And so um, you're not going to um, – I don't think home field advantage is really going to do too much um, in that game. Uh, Florida State over over Pittsburgh. Um, you know, after witnessing you know what happened to Pittsburgh last week, um, yeah, the domination of Florida State um, the past couple of weeks. You know, I'm looking towards you know Florida State and how how they've been playing well lately. So um, went with them. Air Force, um, you know, good team, solid team. You know, uh, and I think that any team that doesn't have an elite defense is going to struggle with their um, rushing attack, and so. We're going to keep running Air Force. Uh, and then Arizona, man, it's a team that, that's really been been difficult all year. Um, hasn't been an easy out for anybody. Has really started to turn it up here lately. So we've got them at home in that night spot, um, Pac-12 after dark, um, covering two and a half. Um, so, yeah, I feel, feel pretty good about about this group. Hopefully we'll, we'll get, get above 500 this week, shooting for, you know, four out of the six games. So hopefully we can we can hit that number. And easily, you know, gradually work our way back up to, to 500 for the season. We're going to try. Uh, I think right now we might be six or seven. I'd have to go back and look. We need to, we do need to get a hard number on this. Maybe I'll say we'll set it at six under 500 right now because I think we, we've never gone 0 for, 5, 0 for 6. I think but maybe we went 2 for 4 one week, so that would put us 4 down and 1 for 5. So, uh, yeah, I think we – uh, but I think we might have went four and two one week too. So um, I'll have to look. It might be eight or nine down. So we're gonna have to we're gonna have to make up some ground as we as we get into this home stretch. Uh, but uh, let let's talk about uh, some of these other games that that weren't on our six pack. Uh, and to me, I think there are, there are just a few that that stand out. Um, Kansas State going on the road to take on Texas. Kansas State's been playing some of the best ball in the country, have dominated their last two games. I think that's a fascinating one, Kyler. Uh, do you think Texas uh, is able to pull it out at home or without Quinn Ewers, does Kansas State pull that upset? I think this is a defining moment for this Texas team. I mean, when, when a star player goes out like that, are you able to find other ways to win? They did last week, right? I don't think that – um, you know, the, the quarterback that filled in necessarily had his best game. Saw multiple turnovers from him, but Jonathan Brooks stepped up to the plate, really ran the ball hard for them. And so, um, you know, for me, I I do see them winning this game. Uh, being at home in Austin, I do think that is going to be a heck of a game. And, and that four points, I mean, I, I don't know if they cover that, but I do see them winning in a very close, close match, maybe by a field goal. But this one's really tough to predict, but if I you know, gun to my head, I'm, I'm going Texas in this game. What about you? I mean, do you see Kansas State, you know, with kind of how they've been trending lately the last couple of weeks? I mean, do you think they're going to be able to 
uh, go go to Austin and, and come out with a victory. You know, I feel like every time I'm I'm start to trust Kansas State, they I they screw up. So I there is a part of me that is. Um, apprehensive that feels burned by Kansas State, but I do think they're good, and I think that maybe it's just taking them time to put it together, kind of like Georgia. And you know, they haven't had the luxury of maybe having such a soft schedule to start going on the road and playing Missouri, who's been really good, and Oklahoma State. You know, maybe they caught them at the worst time, right as they were changing quarterbacks. I feel like and kind of got on their their tear. So. It's um, it's a hard team to kind of think about, but I do think that this is a really t- good time to get Texas. And I don't know. I, I think that if nothing else, if I'm maybe being somewhat noncommittal, I, I like them plus four, uh, but that's not in our six pack. And there's a reason because it's, it, you know, I don't not too confident, but I think if you had to, you know, I, I do a pick them type of thing with a bunch of games and probably will pick Kansas State plus four. Um, just because I think that I think that, that it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to be a really good game. And to your point, it's going to be a defining game for Texas. I think they're going to be a, uh, under the gun late, and they have shown the ability uh, to pull through. Obviously, they didn't. You know, they, I feel like they even did pull through in that Oklahoma game. They just left too much time, and Oklahoma also pulled through. But um, yeah, it's a it's an awesome opportunity for Texas to, I think, you know, solidify their place as as being one of the teams sprinting to, you know, to get that that last slot. Because there's right now, I mean, as we say, 21 teams with an opportunity. Um, and then there's like 16 teams, I think, with at least one loss or with less than one loss, one loss or less. And of that, there's or maybe there's 12, 13. Maybe I'm overstating it anyways. Bottom line is I think Texas is one of the seven, eight teams that has a very good inside shot. If they win out, they're, they're going to have a good shot at making it and being there as one of the last four teams. So um, you got to take care of games like this and having it at home, that, that helps. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, another game I want to talk about, LSU-Alabama. And LSU is right there, Kyler. Um, both – teams have a loss outside of conference. And so LSU comes in with two losses, but only one is in conference. Alabama comes in with one loss, none in conference. If LSU can pull the upset against Alabama, they're going to be going back to the SEC championship game, or at least having a very inside shot at making it back uh, over the Crimson Tide. Um, and, And I will say that this is a dangerous game for Alabama. And the reason why I think it's dangerous is they've kind of gotten by playing inconsistent offensively and allowed the defense to just, you know, make, um, you know, they've allowed their defense to kind of set the tone and their defense has played very well. But against LSU, I think you got to score points. And I don't think that, um, I don't. I think they'll slow down the LSU offense, but I don't think that they're going to be able to stop them. So this really is going to be a a Jalen Milrow game. And I will say, the last time that we saw a really good offense go into Tuscaloosa, I, I think it was the Texas Longhorns, and we saw what happened there. In some ways, I like LSU plus three on this one. I I know that LSU's in tight games, and their defense also allows their, you know, it may be Jalen Milrow opportunity to take advantage of it. But what we've seen is it's not necessarily that like 
poor defenses are what's troubling. It's accuracy. It's things like that. And, you know, you don't have to be a good defense to get a ball thrown to you. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally see Alabama winning this game. I think that their defense has been much improved, um, you know, over the weeks. And, you know, I think that Jaden Daniels has, has, you know, this is his moment to shine to – uh, potentially make some Heisman type plays, have his moments out there. But um, I, I see Alabama being able to absolutely torch LSU's defense um, in this game. And I think it's going to be, you know, a relatively high scoring affair. But I think that Bama's defense does enough to get it done. And in the late stages of the game, they're going to be able to get to Jaden Daniels and force him to make some errant passes and, and, and force some turnovers this game. So I've got Bama covering the three um, at Brian Denny. Um, on Saturday, but it's going to be an exciting game. Uh, a lot on the line for both teams. Um, LSU still still needs a still needs a loss from uh, from Ole Miss, which is very feasible since they have the dogs on the schedule. But um, you know, be very interesting game nonetheless. Um, yeah, I do see uh, Jermaine Burton, Jalen Milrow hooking up with for a lot of uh, yards this game, a lot of deep balls. So. Um, but no, I'm excited. That that's definitely one to everyone's to circle on the schedule and and be around the TV to watch. Agreed. I think that's going to be the the marquee matchup of the week. Um, other than obviously the Bulldogs hosting Missouri, are there any other games that that you're looking forward to seeing? Any other games that you want to mention? I, I think that you know Ohio State Rutgers could be intriguing. I don't think Rutgers has the offense to really make it as intriguing as. I'd like it to be, uh, but they could cover that spread. It's 18 and a half, and they're playing it in Piscataway. So who knows? Um, Texas A&M going to Ole Miss. Uh, that's a game that could be a look-ahead game. Ole Miss playing Georgia the week, uh, you know, one week from now in Athens. Uh, who knows Who knows what um, Texas A&M we're going to see, but I, I will say there is a Texas A&M that certainly could beat Ole Miss. Um that is that is not like crazy or an insane thing to think about. And also, uh, once again, if Old Miss wants to be considered a really good team, you got to win games like that. You got to, you know, you can't have these look ahead games. Uh, and you know, Oregon State visits Colorado. That doesn't really intrigue me. I will say Iowa State is favored at home against Kansas, which is interesting. Um, giving Kansas's win. So it will be fascinating to see if Kansas can keep that momentum going. And um, the other game that I'll say actually does carry some weight is Virginia Tech going to Louisville. Um, crazy, as I said, Virginia Tech four and four, but are three and one in the ACC. And if they beat Louisville, then they, I believe now would be in second place in the ACC. And all of a sudden, hold the car their own destiny and fate to get to Charlotte, which I just think is crazy. And of course for Louisville, I, I mean, they gotta, they gotta keep winning. Um, there, there is a, there is a outside potential at getting there, but they just got to keep winning. So um, any of those games also intrigue you or any other games you want to talk about? I mean, out of those games, it's definitely Virginia Tech Louisville that, that kind of stands out to me. Um, you know, obviously the, the conference implications here are massive and, you know, I, I like to see a team like Virginia Tech who makes a, um, a change in quarterback mid-year and, and kind of uh, completely, you know, sets their ship a sail a completely different direction. And so and I think this is massive for their coach and, and for recruiting to, um, 
you know, say that, hey, yeah, Virginia Tech is back. We're, we're here and, and we want to be back to being a perennial powerhouse. And so I think a win um, at Louisville um, in that 330 slot would be just massive for them. So definitely going to kind of keep an eye on that game. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I really do like A&M Ole Miss as a game to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, Ole Miss, like you said, could be looking ahead at the dogs and, and, and drop this game. And so, uh, but I do think that they're able to, to beat A&M and um, this weekend, but I think it's going to be a good game. Uh, I think that um, we're, we're going to see uh, A&M's best shot, but I think that Jackson Dart and the run game with, with Quinshawn Judkins, I think it's going to be too much for, for A&M to handle. And so we're going to see a one-loss Ole Miss team uh, in Athens, Georgia, which I could be more excited for. I love it. I love it. Uh, the, the, the end of the schedule is setting up to be just incredible, Kyler. Um, but also for, uh, I think fortuitous to the dogs, uh, and that starts this weekend, two home games. You talked about it. Old Miss comes next weekend, but we don't want to look at it either. We welcome in Missouri this weekend. Missouri is a team seven and one. I've talked about them before. They're very legit. And I think this is going to be the best team we've played all season long. And I think it's going to be the best team we've played all season long by quite, quite a fair margin. Um, they have an offense that can play. They have a defense that can play. Um, they're a well-rounded team, uh, and they are well-coached, I think, uh, Eli Drinkowitz. Um, there is uh, maybe some some lingering feelings from last year's games on both sides. Uh, I'm sure Georgia feels as though it was the game that we really just didn't show up for. We didn't play well. We didn't bring our A game to, and I think maybe wants to flip the script on that. And on the flip side, Missouri probably looks at that game and says of every team with probably the exception of absolutely with the exception of Ohio state in the playoffs, we gave Georgia the best game of the year. Like we had an absolute chance to knock them off and just didn't have the offense uh, it wasn't there yet. And now they probably look at it and say, we do have the offense uh, that's, that's able to, you know, to win the, you know, the win the battles and, and get those chunk yard plays that were needed to, to actually beat the Bulldogs. Um, but I don't know. Uh, what do you feel? Do you think that this is, this is the toughest test for the dogs this weekend? I do think it's the toughest test because of just, you know, how this matchup plays out with their offense versus our defense. Um, yeah, we, we talked about it near the top of the show about the things that we can improve upon and that's communication on, on the back end of our defense. And um, this is a team that has weapons on the outside. Um, you know, Luther Burden is you know going to be an all American this year. One of the top receivers in the country. I'd put him number two, maybe right behind a Marvin Harrison Jr. But um, he, he's an incredible player. They have an excellent transfer uh, from Oklahoma named Theo Weiss Jr., um, who's having an emigrate season. Um, they got Mookie Cooper, a guy with a lot of speed. Um, they're on the outside, and they have a decent running game as well. Uh, yeah, don't, don't sleep on uh, Cody Schrader and his ability to kind of shred up um, defenses. I mean, he's a great defensive – or he's a great D2 transfer that's come in and really hit the ground running since he – since he's got on campus. So, um, and then Brady Crook, Cook can make all the throws. And, and not only can he make all the throws, he kind of scares me in the same way that CJ Stroud scared me uh, against Ohio State. You know, he's not afraid to um, tuck the ball and, and go get the first down that way. So he can make plays with his legs as well. So it's a scary offense that we're going against, and they're a, a physical defense as well. And so 
Um, I feel like we had a lot of trouble running the ball last year up until it really counted. And so Dajan Edwards was able to get some really tough yards towards the end of that game to propel us to victory. But um, also a big shout out to, to Brock in that game for, for getting us in position to, to get down to that goal line. But this is a talented uh, team um, there in Columbia, Missouri. And I mean, we definitely have our hands full. But at the end of the day, I do see uh, you know, that home field advantage is so crucial there in, in Sanford Stadium. And I think that that that's ultimately going to be the the reigning factor there of you know why we're able to beat them quite handily. Um, I think that our our offense is up to the task, and you know, like you said, we still have a bit of a sour taste in our mouth for how we didn't go out and absolutely just dominate last year. And I think that we jump out early and and you know, get to a solid lead, but um, they're going to get their points. They're going to get their points over Missouri. This offense is too talented not to not to score against us, but. Um, you know, I've, I've got the dogs winning this one, 38-21. 38-21. Uh, I, I see it somewhat similarly. I think uh, you talked about the offense. I think this offense has come into its own, and I really trust it, especially seeing how they operated without Brock Bowers. We don't need Brock Bowers, although don't tell me that not having Brock Bowers in the playoff, I mean, it, it wouldn't be great. So hopefully we get him back soon. But I do think that we can manage without him and we can win a title without him. Um, that is that is kind of how Kirby Smart has built this team is that it really is about scheming and all that and having tons of athletes so that when got one guy falls, you know, you bring another guy up and maybe you just scheme a little bit differently. But you still have the the athletes in place um, and the talent in place to do it. It just might look a little different. Now, um, I think that uh, – so so the bottom line is I think the offense is going to put up points. And I teeter because I do think Missouri has a good defense, but I think we want to put up points. And I also don't know that Kirby and Eli Drinkowitz have the most uh, – I don't know that they have the most cordial relationship. And on top of that, they've been uh, stealing some of our recruits. And I say stealing, I mean, they've been beating us in battles, which is great. But I wouldn't be surprised if Kirby doesn't see that as a challenge to to maybe put it on them. So I think that I see it maybe being 42-17. And I think I could see it being 42-17, but at a time us down 17-14 or even us down 21-17 or getting close and then somehow we break it open uh, and you know they are able to charge down the field on us da- uh, a few times but they end up having to go for seven uh, and it gets out of hand so I think that we might win we win the game going away but I think it might be closer than what the scoreboard is predicting and I also think that um, really it's going to come down to, I think, our defense's ability to limit the explosive plays and limit the offense of Missouri. I think our offense is going to put up points. I think they're going to play well. I finally saw our defense start to play better, and and I do think that translates over to a better offense. I do think that uh, we'll still give up some points, but, um, yeah, and maybe, you know, maybe in the end it's 42-24. That actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a slight correction. Forty-two twenty-four. I think that um, we do give up some points, but overall, uh, we 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 win going away. Um, and I and I think it's just uh, our offense is too efficient. And I think it's gonna be much like last year. We are going to be predicated off that really efficient offense and our defense. Um, even if they aren't at their A game, or even if they can't stop everything 
it's not going to matter because our, our offense is that good. Well, any other thoughts, Kyler, as we, we end the week? No, I mean, it just excited, uh, you know, face off against a you know, quality opponent like Missouri. I feel like, you know, another big win here is going to really put the dogs on the map as a, you know, a team that has er- eradicated all doubt. Um, I'm ready for us to be seen as the, the two-time champion that we are. And, um, you know, I, I'm excited to, you know, see us another week better um, from, from what we did against Florida and continue to build on that. I'm excited to see, you know, the progression of Tyron Ingram Dawkins, what he's able to do. I feel like he's going to be crucial in this game to yeah, getting pressure in the backfield and, and stopping the run as well. Uh, really, really excited to see what he can do. Um, yeah, this is a team that actually drops back kind of like Florida. So we're going to see more opportunities to, to get after the quarterback. And so I want to see, you know, Jalen Walker again, uh, third down situations, um, you know, running like his, like his hair's on fire, trying to get to that quarterback. Um, but no, no worries about this offense. Uh, Carson Beck's going to continue to do what Carson Beck does and, and not get rattled and, and, you know, put us in a position to uh, move the ball each and every drive and get us in it. Yeah, with a chance to, to score. Um, so, and hopefully, you know, once we're down there, we've moved the ball down the field. I want to see improvement um, and, and goal line type situations where we can run the ball effectively when they have numbers in the box against us. I think that's going to be um, a huge stepping stone for this team and, and, and uh, taking things to the next level. But, um, and then, you know, lastly, you know, I kind of mentioned it, but just want to see better communication amongst the defensive backs. I don't want to see busted coverages where guys, you know, uh, go untouched to the end zone, you know, 50 yards. I want to see us, um, if we do give up that slant, to be right there on top of it and and, and make a tackle, um, bend or break in, in that regard. So um, there's just a few things that I'm looking out for, but, you know, I'm very excited and, and you know, uh, know that the, the Athens faithful will be there um, in force. Uh, you know, they're going to be a factor in this. I mean, you know, this is a, a passing offense that, that makes all kinds of calls at the line of scrimmage. And so, um, we need the dog nation to show up in a big way and be loud and um, help, help propel this team to victory because they are going to be a factor this game. Without a doubt, Kyler, uh, the the home field advantage, the home cooking, it, it is always a, a huge thing. And uh, we talked about it. I don't know that we mentioned it on the program, but we actually it's one of the best home schedules uh, for Georgia that we've had in a minute. And it's, you know, you're getting these late games. I can't remember a time where we had like back-to-back really highly ranked games at home in November. Um, you know, I, I know that we used to play Auburn a little bit later, so sometimes those games, but uh, back-to-back like this, I mean, you can't, uh, you can't beat it. So I am envious of all those college students that are going to get to – get to just experience a little Sanford back to back like that. That's awesome. Good for y'all. <laughs> well, uh, the final point that I want to make Kyler is just that we're up to 25 wins in a row and that now cracks the top 25 of teams who have, uh, the most, uh, wins in a row. Uh, we we share it with a bunch of teams at 24th, uh, USC from 1931 to 33, Army 44 to 46, Michigan 46 to 49, San Diego State 65 to 67, BYU 83 to 85, UCF from 17 to 18. Uh, and and so, I, you know, I, I share that just to say this is not a uh, this is not an easy thing to do. 
and we talk about it a lot, but it's a time to just remember this is the greatest probably time we're ever going to see in Georgia football history. And so just relish it while you can. Um, of teams that are at 29, Florida State won 29 straight from 2012 to 2014, and Clemson won 29 straight from 2018 to 2019. So there were some teams uh, who have done it, and then you know you start to get up crazy stuff. The Oklahoma is all probably going to be untouched. 47 wins straight from 1953 to 57, insane. But I'm just saying, to even be in the top 25, um, there are uh, very few teams who have touched this type of this type of just continued success. And on top of that, um, bottom line is that Georgia also is like 42 and two and one in the last 42 games. So you know, you also you you add in just one loss, and I mean, it's it's insane. So. Uh, just just keep riding it, guys. Keep riding the magic carpet while we can, and hopefully it, we can extend it one more week. All right. Well, for Kyler Carr, I am Matt Kerr. This has been the Dogs on Top, Even on Bottom podcast. Check us out on Instagram, the underscore D-O-T-E-O-B. Hit us wherever you can on podcasts. We're going to be there. So hit link, hit subscribe, rate it, say this is an awesome podcast and we enjoy it. And as we always roll out on, go dogs. Go dogs.